You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, hello once again to our listeners. I want to thank you all for continuing to support the Fair Game podcast. I hope you enjoy today's show. We got a good one for you. Today's guest is an inductee into the IAFE Hall of Fame, and she served in her position as executive director of the Indiana State Fair since 2004. She joins us today from Indianapolis, Indiana. This is Miss Cindy Hoy. Cindy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. I'm really glad we could get you on the show today. If you would, for our nine listeners, although looking at stats, it might be up to 10 now. Could you tell us how you came to be with the Indiana State Fair? Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I mean, just like a, a lot of people in this fair business, you you kind of get locked in it from an early age. And I, you know, typical 4-H'er, um, did a lot of work in, um, you know, volunteering county fairs. And then I actually was a 4-H agent uh, for a while, worked for the American Dairy Association, um, interned at the Texas State Fair when I was in college, and then got a chance um, of running a little small county fair up in, um, up in Ozaki County. So that small fair, half of it was um, geared toward extension and the other half was owned by the fire department. Just a funny little mix of community. But yeah, I um, was at the Wisconsin State Fair for almost eight years. And then I'm actually from Indianapolis, from Indiana, grew up like 10 minutes from the fairgrounds. And so I had a, a shot at coming back home and we packed up and moved to back to back home again to Indiana as the song goes. So anyway, just really grateful, started in marketing and then had this incredible opportunity to be the executive director. So, so before we get backstory. perfect, before we get much uh, further into the podcast, IFE just recently announced 2022, we're coming to you, Indianapolis. That's- Exactly how much is that going to cost you in dinners for other friends and people that are coming to Indianapolis? Right? <laughs> oh, we are so proud to be a host. Um, Indianapolis is made for this kind of convention. The hotels have skywalks that connect to the convention center. Um, so you can get around downtown Indianapolis and skywalks and never even go outside. But if wow. you do go, yeah, if you do go outside, there's there's an incredible restaurant um, business in Indianapolis and some famous ones that people love. St. Elmo's is the name that a lot of it comes to mind for a lot of people, but um, just a great environment for it and very excited about hosting um, in 2022. I think it'll be cool. The one concern when I've spoken with entertainers and maybe you can help us with this is it's a northern city and it's in right at the you know front edge of winter that we're coming up there what kind of snow and weather do you guys have over thanksgiving weekend typically in indianapolis typically i think we're going to be fine i i hearken back to flying in and out to go to the conventions and in las vegas and um, san antonio and never been able never had a delay or a snow impact my travels at all over the last you know 25 years or so um so i really don't think it'll be an issue could there be snow yes absolutely could it be cold windy yes absolutely or it could be be fairly nice um and that's one of the great things about the skywalks is if it is 
icy or snowy or what have you, you can go, you can travel inside those and you're just fine. So, so I really don't think it'll be an issue. That's really cool that that number of hotels are connected by skywalks. Um, the last time admittedly that I was in Indianapolis, other than driving through at one point was probably the late nineties. Uh, Market Square Arena was still a thing back then. Yeah. Um, right. And so it, I'm guessing it sounds like your downtown has been, there's been a kind of a revitalization and, and a lot wow. of growth in the area. Well, so perfect, perfect way to answer this is the NCAA tournament, which is going on right now is in a bubble, so to speak in downtown Indianapolis, the six major hotels that accommodated the 68 teams were all connected to the convention center. So the athletes never had to get out of the bubble. Um, and so it was, um, it was made for this, this kind of um, kind of inclusive type event. But then there's also so many assets that are and attractions that are downtown now. The, there's a wonderful um, museum called the Idle George, Idle George Museum of Western Heritage. There's the State Museum. There's a canal walk, which would I would advocate for people to get outside and enjoy the walk. There's a downtown park. Um, yeah, I mean, back in Back in the day, it was uh, it was called I think it was called Naptown was the, okay. the 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 word that was used, and now it is just thriving. Um, it's just fun. Indianapolis is just a great city. Well, that's fantastic. I know I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've said previously that uh, when we moved to San Antonio, and I, there were entertainers that said, oh, you know, there's not there just won't be as many people because all the plus ones won't end up coming because it's not you know, San Antonio is not that vacay destination and party destination that Las Vegas is. I said, that's fine by me because that, that, that cuts off the excess and gets us down to business. And they said, yeah, but then this, and they had this objection to that. And I said, here's the best thing that we're going to get. The floor at the trade show is going to get moved. All the booths are going to be in different places. And they said, why does that matter? I said, because after 40 years in Las Vegas, fair managers got tunnel vision. They went in, they knew where their people were, they hit them and they left. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They said, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. First year in San Antonio, first day of the convention, Linnell Smith walks up to me and looks at Conjure Fortune Machine, you know, Linnell from Sydney Royal Easter. She looks at the thing and she goes, this is fantastic. When, uh, when did you bring it into the market? I said, 2011. Yeah. She goes, yeah, I've never seen it, but I've been to, I was in Vegas every year. And I think that's exactly what happened. Cause you just, you know, where things are, you go in, you hit it and you leave. And yeah, now that yeah. we switch every year, I think that's going to be a good thing for, for everybody. It's going to keep the convention fresh for you guys and be a better business opportunity on our side. Well, I applaud the organization and, and the directors that made that decision. It is, I mean, we should advocate change. I mean, we, we like the foundation of agriculture and entertainment and food, but why not change it up? That's what we should be doing all the time and making adjustments and so this is just a great format for advocating change. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, you know, I, change doesn't have to be forever. If I, if he runs it like this for four or five years and they go, man, you know what? It's more expensive or it's this. And these are the negatives of bouncing every year. Guess what? They can pick yeah. a good spot and stay put for a while. I'm in it mm -hmm. for the long run. So I'm going to see all of these changes and then some. So let's go great. for it. Right. No, I think it's great. I'm excited about it. 
So your fair, along with several other Midwest fairs, including you know Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Ohio, you all are real industry leaders. Other fairs around the industry look to the five of you for inspiration and ideas. What can you tell us about your fair? It's the best one out there. How about that? Well, Should I, I start know. with that? I think Kathleen O'Leary might have an objection to that, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll let you, know, you guys figure um, that out. Right. Like, when do you run? What's your attendance look like? Those kind of yeah, things. Yeah. So just some basics. I mean, we um, we went to a 17, 17 day format. Um, and the reason that we uh, went to that format is we are right on top of when schools go back in session. Mm. And so picking up an extra weekend was helpful to get in all the livestock events to make sure those 4-H kids had a chance to show their projects and, um, and also just to maximize the potential for the weekend dates versus the weekday dates when kids are back at school. So a little bit different than any of the other Midwest fairs. We are, our, our foundation is based on 4-H. And I think the difference from like a Wisconsin State Fair, our, our 4-H is just blown up when you come to the Indiana State Fair. So we, we have three buildings that are filled with 4-H projects. Uh, we have six barns that are filled with 4-H livestock. Um, and so we really take a lot of pride in advocating for those youth. Uh, we also have a large permanent building that showcases FFA students from Indiana. So I think, you know, that maybe a little bit of a difference in other fairs as we elevate those 4-H and FFA kids in a way that might be a little bit different. Another thing that is uh, that separates us apart is we have an area that is called, um, it's called Pioneer Village and it's through Purdue Ag Alumni Association and the Ag Alumni Association put on this, um, these demonstrations and have collection of old farm machinery back from the 50s and it's a thriving, fun, um, very hands-on, just you, you feel like you're you're in 1950 at, at your grandparents' dining room table, you know, back in the day in the little farmhouse kind of thing. Um, but it's just charming. And so that's a little bit different than some of those other, other state fairs. Um, our number is we're about average, about 850,000 people uh, for the fair, kind of ebbs and flows, as everybody knows, depending on weather. Um, but yeah, looking looking forward to getting back to that number someday, right? You will. <laughs> yeah. We will. Yes, everybody's it'll getting their numbers back. Uh, yeah, it'll speaking happen. Of, that, of getting back to numbers, let's take a quick peek back at 2020. Your fair, like so many others, you know, probably 98 or 99 percent of them were forced into cancellation. What's the economic impact on your community when an event of your size closes? Well, our, our business model might be a little different than some other fairs. 50% of our revenue is based on our year-round events, um, and 50% is based on the fair. So our um, so when something like, like that comes around, it impacts um, not only that fair side of our business, but our year-round business too. And if you couple that all together, we're about a $200 million direct economic impact uh, equal to about 400 job equivalencies, um, tax revenue, you know, just on and on and on. So yes, it was a, it was a devastating year. Our revenue was off 
for the year, 75%. Um, but really mm. proud of the fact that uh, we were able to cut expenses. Um, you know, and a tiny little example that I share is we just stopped cutting the grass. Um, that saved us money from our contract services for taking care of 250 acres of cutting the grass. So for a couple months, we just didn't cut the grass, saved us, saved us money. Anything we yep. could do to pinch pennies um, was so our, so I think it was about, ended up by the end of the year, almost 50% cut in expenses. We were able to save payroll and make sure that all our part-time and full-time people were taken care of because that's what we prioritized coming out of the gates. Um, and so really proud of that. And we are, we're hanging on by our fingertips, um, but uh, learned a lot in 2020 and um, kind of, you always want to, you always want to go through something that is that devastating and make, learn some lessons from it, make some lemon shakeups out of lemons. And um, I think collaboration is what I, the word that I've used a lot, uh, not only from our city partners in the city, but also like you, you just referenced the mid, the, a lot of the Midwest fairs. Well, we got together on a call, uh, the, our mid, Midwest fairs with almost like every couple of weeks just to share best practices and what are you doing and what are you forecasting? And so um, collaboration was really key for us from 2020. Well, and it's great that you guys did that because for a time there, for probably the first three to five months that this was going on, it felt like every other day, the government was giving us something different. And so you guys are doing your best to keep up and get the, I know Marla, when we spoke to her was trying, she's got subscriptions to the, the number of different publications, medical publications, medical journals, things like that, that she's got subscriptions to that. She's trying to disseminate the most accurate information as quickly as possible to the membership. And every felt like every other day it was changing. One right. day was this, the next day was right. that. Well, and we, you know, we are laughing um, just recently because Iowa doesn't have any mask mandate, doesn't have social distancing mandates. And so they're, they're like an entirely different world. I mean, they're selling tick actively selling tickets for their grandstand where a lot of us are still in mask requirements and social distancing requirements and capacity requirements. So everybody's a little different. I mean, every state, every community, every county is going to be probably just a little different. Yep. It does make for um, for a little bit of a challenge. I know just coming out of Florida for one of the fairs down there that I was helping a friend with, if you went to local businesses, I would estimate you probably had 90 to 95% people wearing masks. Um, when you were outdoors at the fair, you probably only saw 50% people wearing masks. But I'm I, with the, the breeze that we had and the, the sunshine that was coming down, I have a hard time thinking that... Um, anybody's really going to contract COVID in that environment where the wind's blowing that hard. I suppose if you do catch it like that, you might want to go buy a lottery ticket too, because it's <laughs> right? just, um, I, I think people are, are taking care of what they need to take care of. And, and our industry, I've said a lot on this podcast, I feel like we're the, we were the most prepared industry to be able to deal with the pandemic because we've dealt with H1N1 and E. coli outbreaks and you know, we deal with livestock and, and animals. So we have to be prepared other than some signage, all we're doing is scaling what we already have done. There's not a lot else going on. We were ready for that. And yet we were the ones that are being told, you can't open yet. You can't open yet. You can't open yet. Mm -hmm. What do you do about that? You know? Right. Right. Well, I mean, we got, we've, 
So as I've, I've talked about, you know, our business model being a little bit different, um, we actually were able to host an event in July, um, which was the Mecham car auction. And, um, but when we opened up um, events, we would always have to submit a safe event plan uh, to the state for their review and their approval. And we've still been doing that. So we've had over I think over 50 plans approved. Um, we've had a couple that weren't approved. Um, fascinating to me, one was um, an RV show that we were planning on having in January, typical January date. And, um, but they were concerned about the air quality in each one of those units, each one of the RVs, you'd be in an, an enclosed environment. So the air quality, you couldn't turn over the air in that structure. Um, so it, it kind of went from at the beginning of all this, it, it went from touch to, um, to really more concern about air. Um, sure. And so it's kind of interesting as we kind of went along what we learned and then how we adjusted through it. So how has your fair been able to support your community during the pandemic? I would say um, just like a lot of fairgrounds, we were a testing site um, early on. We were a shelter for some homeless early on. We were also a makeshift hospital early on. Um, and, and so, of course, just right out of the gate, we did all that. But as time progressed, and one of the things that we are really proud of and we're still doing are food drives. Um, Food drives were, are really critically important for people um, in this community. And so we've done, done a number of those. But I think one of the other lessons that we learned um, throughout the year of 20, and now we're continuing in 21, is these drive-through events are very attractive to people. When they're enclosed in their vehicle, they feel safe. Yep. So what can we do from an enclosed vehicle that um, provides people a, a sense of being a lot safer? And so we've done a, um, for years, we've done a coat uh, giveaway and um, going into the, the cold season. And we did that by vehicle instead of um, people getting out of their cars. And so we did a lot of giveaways around the holidays uh, for people that were in a very safe um, plan that we're going to continue to use that plan. It actually is more efficient. I mean, by, by the end of the, by the end of the day, we are finding out that, you know, gosh, there's some really good lessons we've learned that we're going to adopt and keep going with. We've spoken with a lot of fair managers and sponsorship people, Mark, who have said the same, very similar things that, mm -hmm. you know, we, we didn't realize just how stuck we were getting in the, well, we've always done it that way right. mentality. And this has forced innovation and has actually for a lot of fairs exposed um, in some cases, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in inefficiencies on their fairgrounds that they're now able to go, Hey, when we really reopen, it needs to look like this. Cause we can, that's That'll save us $40,000 right there. If we do it this yep. way. And um, I, I, I'm glad I I'm happy for that. I'm sad that it took this, um, but you know, we get comfortable. It's real easy. We're a very efficient industry with what we do and it's easy to get comfortable and not look around and realize the market around us is changing. And now with that's been exposed. And my hope is that fairs really look at what they were doing. And if there's improvements to make, man, go make them. Let's make better right. events for our, for our communities. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Looking ahead at 2021, I know all of us are hoping that this season, somewhere around June or July, really opens. We really get going. For fairs um, that are later in the year, I think that's probably more realistic than for April, May, June fairs. Um, I, my sense is somewhere around July, things come back in our favor. Y'all run in early August and you're a big event. You need a lot of, as Jerry Hammer would say, you need a lot of runway to get off the ground. What do you have an idea of is your hard date for a decision for 2021? Our decision's been made. We're going. I mean, that's it. That, <laughs> we've done, we've water, passed you're that. Having the fair. <laughs> We're having the fair. Um, yeah, I mean, really, what I think over the last couple weeks, um, speaking of runways, um, we, in Indy, we always talk about, because of the race, we always talk about a window to get the race in. If there's a if there's a storm or whatever, a rainstorm, there's always a window. So, you know, I think this window is growing. The, there is so much more optimism uh, right now than there was last year. So um, what we, we did last year, we did a livestock show for the 4-H kids. Um, and we had it on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday took a couple days off, had another group of, of kids in. Um, so that, that what we experienced then and what we did with food, I mean, we know there could be some events that fall off for 2021, but um, it's gonna be li limited events that are gonna fall off. I, I really think that, um, that we're gonna get 80, 85, 90% in um, this year in 2021. Well, I sure hope so. I love that. It, it's go <laughs> it's going to happen. You know, my, my, my main client of the year is OC fair out in Southern California and mm. they run, uh, you know, mid July to mid August, but unfortunately being California fair, that poor state has just been so pummeled by government restrictions, but there's a little light glimmering in there in that Disneyland is now scheduled to open from what I understand, April 30th. That's the signal that I've been looking for. I know in speaking with Michelle Richards, their decision was going to be in probably in the next month. They, I think she was indicating by mid-April when she was on the podcast is when they have to have their decision made. And now that Disneyland's opening, we're going to cross our fingers that that happens because yeah. I would really like to get back in, uh, get back in business and, and start performing again. Um, you know, I think it's possible as we, we look forward at 2021 fairs, there's a lot of fairs that may have to scale back, may only go at, you know, have fewer vendors or fewer, you know, less entertainment. I know Florida Strawberry Festival eliminated their grandstand just because they didn't want everybody in that close to, of an environment. Curious if you guys are looking at what your messaging looks like to your community and how you say, you know, hey, 21 may look a little different, but we're still going to give you great value for your money. What kind of messaging are you looking at for that? Well, I mean, we're, we're still tweaking, um, messaging, um, right now we, um, you know, again, our, our, our planning thought is this, this event is probably going to be still during a pandemic. Um, so are there going to be adjustments? Yeah. Whether masks are required or not required, whether, um, there's capacity, uh, what kind of enforcement looks like. So we're still working with the public health officials to really understand what might be um, in August. Um, you know, we, we believe that, um, again, there will be, again, let me go back to this. What you said from the very beginning, outside, I think outside is gonna be simple. I, I really think that is gonna, 
So that's food concessions, carnival, um, things that are not enclosed in buildings. I think that will be the easiest check to check off. Our entertainment is outside. And as long as there's not um, capacity restrictions, I think we're gonna be in good shape. So um, what we've, like everybody, we've got a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and then we'll regroup and put together a plan D if we need to for this sure. year. Yeah. Sure. Looking at our industry at large, there are an enormous number of young fair managers across the country um, who are trying to navigate this just like you are, but they don't have anywhere near the experience that someone, you know, say like you or Jerry Hammer or Kathleen O'Leary have. What are some leadership leadership suggestions that you have for those young fair managers who are navigating this? Throw your shoulders back. Be strong. Yeah. Stand up straight. You got this. Um, I think, you know, I think that um, uh, strong leadership is all about supporting the people that work for you and making them successful. And so rely on your team and their talents and abilities. But as a leader, you've got to set a bold direction and have a strong vision. And right now our, our vision is, is we're, we're going, let's make this happen. And um, knowing that there are gonna be some tweaks and some, some things that we're gonna adjust. And, and I would also say for young fair managers, be bold. I mean, if there is ever a year to try something new, this is the year. I mean, 2020 year one is a year to upset the apple cart, do something sure. entirely different, new, creative. And yep. again, be bold, be different, try it. Um, you know, it may be something that works, um, a lasting kind of effort, or maybe something you say, Hey, you know, we gave it a shot and we're going to regroup and do something different in 2022. But yeah, this is the, this is the year to be creative and bold. Be creative and be bold. I like that a lot. I'm, I'm curious as we come out of this pandemic and life starts to return to, you know, whatever it is we're going to call normal. What are some of those goals that you have for improving the Indiana state fair moving forward? Well, I think, um, I think that the, the most important thing for us um, is to take care. And we actually establish each year, we have a business plan and establish our, our goals for the year. And our goal for this coming year is preservation. Um, it's, it is to nurture and preserve this historic institution. Um, and with that is preserving the soul of it, preserving the heart of it. Uh, preserving the infrastructure and the, um, I mean, all our buildings for the most part were built in the twenties. I mean, they're reaching that life a hundred year cycle. And um, so we've got a lot of work to do to make sure that we have the, the means and the financial, um, the finances that support the infrastructure. And again, preservation is the name of the key, is the key uh, goal we have for this coming year. Um, the, the other thing I think is we're going to have to be um, continue to be more sustainable and look at how we are doing. Uh, we were talking about composting the other day. We're talking about um, preserving some of the um, or, or re-lamping some of the some of the buildings with more energy efficiency. I mean, so sustainability is going to be another word for us going forward and making sure that we are, uh, we're doing that. I think there, um, 
we're gonna we're gonna try a couple wacky ideas for this year. Um, I can't I can't divulge those you ideas. Cannot reveal wrong. her secrets. No, no. And again, they're gonna be different and unique. And um, but we're we're gonna give a couple things a shot. But but again, I think our 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 mission and and I I know this is uh this goes back to to Girl Scouts, which is uh, leave it better than the way you found it. And, um, that's my mantra. We're going to, we're going to take this thing and we're going to, we're going to continue in it to enhance it and make it better for the future. What is it about the Indiana state fair that keeps you driven and excited to come to work every day for the better part of 30 years? Um, it is, th there are two things. One is, um, which I just kind of talked about. It's the soul of the place that I, I am so honored um, to, to be part of the team that is continuing to thrive with this institution. Um, and the second is what I just talked about too. It is um, seeing the success of my young team and their accomplishments. Um, it just, so the perfect example is this past weekend, we were hosting uh, at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum on the fairgrounds. We hosted the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament on the national stage. Um, and I, I liken us to a little bit of a Cinderella story ourselves. You have these great, big, massive venues, the Lucas Oil Stadium, the Bankers Life Fieldhouse, the Hinkle Fieldhouse. And here's this gem of a, a treasured institution that was that was at the big dance. And I was, um, it almost, it almost makes me emotional to talk about it. I mean, just seeing what the team did and how well they pulled together to put that event on, it, it was magical. It really was. That's cool. I'm curious if a new family was to call you up and say, Hey, we're new to the area. We're going to come out to the fair. What are the three things you recommend they do at the fair? What are the three musties at your fair? The first thing I would say is, um, we have this area called Little Hands on the Farm and it is really geared toward little children. And it is trying to tell the story of agriculture in a way that is hands-on, interactive. So they become farmers and they have to collect the eggs and they have to plant the seeds in the garden and they have to harvest and they have to milk the cow and on and on and on. But it, they end up um, collecting their, their um what they've, what they've grown or what they've raised. Um, and they take it to the market and they get money and they take that money to the grocery store and they buy something. I'll make believe pretend, but, but it is the best way to teach the story of agriculture. And, um, so that's, that's number one on my list. Number two is to actually go through the barns and see the livestock and, the pride that families have in, and it's not just the 4-H'er, it is the 4-H'er and the aunts and uncles and the grandparents. And, um, and, and it is just the spirit of Indiana and it's the spirit of that element of our business that just, um, which is so good. We've added um, another piece that, that I would say is we've added a sky ride. Uh, Danny Houston um, puts on North American Midway Entertainment for us. Um, he's from Indiana. He takes a lot of pride in it as well. And 
and um, God, could go up in the sky ride and look out over the campus of the fairgrounds, but then you see the city of Indianapolis right to your right, just three miles away. And, um, and that just kind of gives you a, a broad overview of, of the whole plant. Um, and then as I talked about earlier, Pioneer Village with all the antique farm machinery and you really kind of get immersed into the old way of agriculture. And so that, those would be a couple. I mean, I could go on and on. I, um, how, much, I bet. how much time do you have? I mean, <laughs> I bet. Actually, that's one of my favorite things to do is during the fair's work, the information booth and have people come up and say, okay, I'm here. What do I do? I'm like, ah, oh, that's my favorite. What do you do? Let me start, you know, <laughs> so much fun. That's funny because I could just see you at an information booth and before mm -hmm. they know it, they're just sitting talking about the fair with you for 35 minutes and they're like, oh, yeah. I, actually, I got to go do some of this stuff now. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and you know, I mean, I've been around for a long time and the number one, uh, back 30 years ago, the number one thing people took away from the fair, their favorite was, was the livestock. But since then, it's been the food. I mean, and that's completely changed and food's number one. And um, and that's really fun too, is to talk to the customers because they want to know, what do you recommend from a food standpoint? And um, so food is very much a driver for all of us. Oh yeah. I mean, that's mm -hmm. when, when I look at Facebook pages, there's two, two consistencies when I see comments on pages like yours on Facebook and the public says they want to know about the livestock and 4-H and FFA stuff. And they want to know about what kind of new fair food people are having. All They're right. all down to try some crazy concoction that these concessionaires come up with that becomes some signature item. I remember the first time I went out to the LA County Fair was the first time I'd been exposed to the triple cheeseburger. And instead of buns, it's got Krispy Kreme donuts on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I had one, a friend of uh, a friend got one, another entertainer got one. I had one bite of it and it was completely, I was like, that is both gross and the most delicious thing you could ever possibly have all at the same time that's like it's just what it's what our industry is it's like what what's this crazy thing we can come up with and we've got some great concessionaires in our industry that have amazing ideas that that make our fair food happen oh so yeah it works it really does listen i'm really glad i could get you on the show today we're just about out of time if you've listened to any of our other episodes you know that before we go everyone goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. You give me your best answer for each question. Are oh, you ready? Oh no. Okay. No. She's like, no, very <laughs> nervous. <laughs> these, these are really difficult. Are you ready? Speaking of fair food, what is your favorite fair food? Uh, it would be the, uh, oh, um, you gotta pick one, just one. Pick one. Oh, okay. I would say, um, we have this commodity, the dairy industry in Indiana, and they have a dairy bar and they have incredible shakes. So I would say a vanilla shake. Excellent. If I were to open the music app on your phone right now, which artist would be playing? Um, Michael Buble. When you fly, do you prefer a window seat or an aisle seat? Aisle. You can have a guest role on any television show, past or present. Which show would it be? Uh, it would be the show from Indianapolis. It's called Good Bones, and it's a HGTV home remodeling. So I would be in the reality world of them doing something to my home. Very cool. 
favorite place you've ever gone on vacation? <gasps> so many. Um, I'm going to have to say Zion National Park. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Actually, it was really fun. I went with a number of, of fair ladies. Um, Marla Calico is one. Marlene from Virginia. Um, Lisa from Florida. And we went hiking in Bryce. Uh, and then we got Bryce National Park. And then we also hiked in Zion. And it was a trip of a lifetime. That's awesome. Last mm -hmm. question. What fair in our industry would you most like to attend that you have not had a chance to see yet? I think it would be the um, Brisbane, Australia. And cool. the reason is they have done just such a creative and bold vision for their campus. And I would love to see it in person sometime. Fantastic. Cindy, if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they contact you? Uh, C-H-O-Y-E uh, at indianastatefair.com. Cindy Hoy, Executive Director of the Indiana State Fair. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.